0: Making view Making reveal. Say six. Six. Five. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Welcome to the fifty-ninth episode of Rank and Review. This week, your host and Random Canadian with returning guest Susie Cook are going to look at sci-fi scares, madness, darkness, and the end of the world. Yes, we have six dark science fiction movies, and every episode I warn my listeners that there could be spoilers and there could be coarse language, but this episode in particular I think... A lot of these movies hang on their twists, and in order to discuss the movie we had to sort of talk about those twists. If you have not seen any of the movies on the list, and you are worried about spoilers, do not press on until after you've seen the movies. Otherwise I hope you enjoy an interesting, if combative, episode of Rankin Review. Um, notes about the sound this room uh, Susie sounds fantastic but there was a little bit of an echo in the room and I'm a little soft I did what I could to help with that but I hope you can forgive a little bit less quality than usual this week on Rank and Review but uh, see it's a learning experience Um, if you have any feedback to give me um, constructive or otherwise please do so by writing rankandreview at gmail.com that's R-A-N-K-N r-e-v-i-e-w at gmail.com and uh, seek out the show on Facebook seek it out on iTunes and uh, tell that other movie nerd in your life about Rank and Review okay that's all I won't bother you any further I hope you enjoy Sci-Fi Scares 4 kind of squatting in uh, Lynn Cook's house. Hi, Lynn. <laughs> She's not listening to this. We could say anything we want. <laughs> uh, and uh, Susie Cook returns for her second exciting installment of Rankin Review. Thank you so much, Susie, for being here.
1: My pleasure.
0: Um, and you have selected a quite dark selection of science fiction movies. Um, and I'm curious what what attracted you to that.
1: Um, well, I knew that t- two of the movies in the bunch were some of my favorites, nice. um, and uh, that's why I was interested in reviewing this particular bunch. And the
0: rest sort of came along with them. Exactly. <laughs> well, okay, i will be interested to find out which of those two are your personal favorites, because I have two personal favorites on this list as well, so much so that actually the top two was a real tough one for me, mm-hmm. a real tough one. Let's see. Are you coming in confident? Do you think we're going to be going uh, six for six or zero for
1: six? <laughs> well, it, there is a trend, zero for six, <laughs> and uh, we'll see if I can repeat. <laughs>
0: You're, are going to try to get zero for
1: six? No, or? I'm just uh, gonna um, rank them as I see them, and in discussion with the uh, Jeremy, nice. my husband, Jay Adrian. He, <laughs> <J>. Adrian. <laughs> um, he 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 uh, predicts that we might actually go zero for six again, mm. given what he knows about my choices and you.
0: Interesting. Yeah, you had a little bit of an inside track, but you're not trying to cook the books. I have my list written down; it's in the breast pocket of my jacket. Uh, there'll be no cheating tonight for me. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a couple of times where the list has been so close that I almost wish I could flip flop it. A lot of times, the middle movies I'm not as passionate about as the top or bottom. Right? <laughs> but I'm, 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 we need winners. Yeah. I mean, I love me some Karen Geezy, but she's held the title for a long time. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Or she could double down. I guess that would be exciting too. I feel like it's time for a win, don't you? Oh
1: well, yeah, <laughs> no. <Not laughs> no. I, I'm. I, I'm fairly certain six for six is going to be really difficult. I think that what we enjoy in movies no, not, not not gonna happen. Okay. okay. So. <laughs>
0: Well, it'll be interesting because a lot of times people come in confidence saying that I'm going to be six for six and it doesn't play out that way at all. Yeah. So Who knows? Maybe if you're confident zero for 6 we'll surprise you. <laughs> and, um, we'll see. Um, you seem to like sci-fi as a rule more than horror. Yes, I do. That said, I would say that all six of these movies have elements within them that I would qualify absolutely as horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um, just furthering my theory that most, if not all, movies are secretly horror <laughs>
1: Oh, really? <laughs>
0: well, I don't know if oh, really, but that's, that's one of my many theories. People who are dismissive of the horror genre, which I know you're not, but there are people who are, you know, wouldn't even take the time to review, I don't know, White Noise 2. they would miss out <laughs> on that experience. They would just dismiss it. It's stupid. <laughs> um... That said, I think the movies that we're going to talk about tonight, tonight um, for the most part, are well, well heard of science fiction films. Um, there are, as you were mentioning before we started recording, sort of similar themes that are being explored. A lot of them have a very apocalyptic vibe to them, and a lot of them explore themes of madness. Yes. So that's cool. But the quality is going to sort of, there's quite a bit of sway in this, at least according to me. Yes. Um, Tonight we're going to discuss Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the, I believe, seventh Planet of the Apes movie. That Uh,
1: explains a few things. um,
0: (laughs) Then we have uh, M. Night Shyamalan, Signs, starring controversial superstar Mel Gibson, Uh, Dark City. We have um, Pitch Black, this DVD says The Chronicles of Riddick, colon Pitch Black. I don't know which title we want to go with. Pitch Black. I think it's a better title, personally. (laughs) Um, We have a more recent sci-fi effort called Pandorum, and we're going to wrap up this episode talking about Terry Gilliam's Twelve Monkeys, which has some Bruce Willis and some Brad Pitt all Mm -hmm. together in one place. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, dark apocalyptic madness themed sci-fi is there anything you would like to say by way of introduction before we jump right into this
1: i think we can jump right into it thanks for being here Susie. you're welcome our drug allows the brain to repair itself we call it the cure we're ready to move on to the next phase this one this wrong bro. this has the potential to change lives some things aren't meant to be changed does it work like we predicted with one exception the drug has radically boosted brain functioning you mean increased intelligence
0: Okay, we're going to talk about rise of the planet of the apes This is a 2011 pre-make i guess (laughs) as then it's uh was sort of a prequel to the remake maybe or i guess a prequel to the original planet of the apes um i think that the most impressive thing out of the gate coming from this 2011 blockbuster standards is the level of the special effects i remember seeing um the the new version of king kong that uh Peter Jackson directed and just being blown away by the monkey. King Kong himself is just in a crazy, amazing effect. This movie has several characters that are all as well-rendered as King Kong. It's almost become rote, that we can now accept completely CGI characters.
1: Well, the main... Um... Ape is, anti, is Andy played Circus. Andy Circus. So, right there, you've got a great model for. Yeah, of course, on the <laughs> end of
0: the wave of this sort of stop motion performance. But it is a performance. It's not completely just an animated creation. I do yeah. see Circus in it. I do see characterizations. I do see performance. So, actors don't necessarily need to worry that, that they'll still have work. I think that obviously Circus is the best in the business. So, uh, having him do it is a big plus and boon for this movie. Yes. Um, I think that the two wild cards about the movie is, A, how deeply you feel about the Planet of the Apes franchise. I have to say, personally, I don't feel that deeply about it. Nope. Um, and how you feel about James Franco. Because I want to like James Franco, but sometimes I think James Franco kind of walks through movies. <laughs> and I kind of think he sort of slept through this movie. I don't know if he was quite, like, Oscar, hosting the Oscars, sleeping through this one. But he certainly didn't bring his A game. He seemed to understand that the monkey was always going to be the star. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know? And he's not wrong. The main yeah. character of this movie is Caesar. I yeah. care way more what happens to Caesar. Yeah.
1: But that's the interesting thing.
0: If this is sort of the lead up to why the apes took over the earth, man has to be put out of the way. So we're going to be dealing with really dark things. And yeah. it sort of puts us in the position of siding with the monkeys. Yeah. The monkeys need to destroy humanity. In fact, our right to do so.
1: <laughs> that's interesting because when I all throughout the movie, it took me about 45 minutes to realize what is this, a family drama? Mm-hmm. Because that's what it felt like to me for most of the movie. Even like the fight scenes at the end were great, and that finally brought it around to being sci fi. Yeah. But it was a family drama, it was all about a coming of age of this monkey. <laughs>
0: If you're not completely dazzled by the special effects, and they are very dazzle worthy, if that's a thing, <laughs> um, I do think that especially you're right, the first half has some very questionable science, at least some very questionable science methodology. <laughs> and um, yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't cook as readily as this sort of summer blockbuster that that you're expecting to see. You do get the big special effects action sequence at the end of the movie, but It feels like an origin story. And as a rule, origin stories are kind of slower. And um, I I felt that, especially in the first half. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I did emotionally enough connect with Caesar the monkey. Mm -hmm. Like, Yes. I I did get suckered into it. I did feel bad for him when when Brian Cox was doing mean things to him. (laughs) And that kid from uh, the Harry Potter movies (laughs) being a dick. Yes. (laughs) But... I think that in in some ways, like I will say it's a good movie, it's an entertaining movie, but overall I think it might have been a little bit overpraised in some things. Like the the scientist bringing a bunch of his teen buddies to have a party in the lab is like just an unbelievable plot convenience that we're all just to take on the chin. And yeah. there's a few things like that that is just, eh, but we got to keep this story moving forward,
1: don't we? It's all, for me, I, I it's all about how awful the science is. I mean, the placenta, like, okay, the plot. Let's just, okay. the the uh, Caesar's mother gets injected with a virus while she's pregnant. And her offspring gets the actual benefit of the virus um, without going, you know, completely nutso, like seemingly the right. mom did. Right. Um, and all of the other monkeys were put down. And then one of the scientists takes Caesar home and raises him. Secretly. Secretly, right?
0: Because secret science is still science.
1: (laughs) Right. Especially when you're experimenting on your own father. Uh,
0: um, (laughs) Again, there's sort of a Frankenstein element. And if it was played for the dark moral thing, like he brings about the end of the world for this fraudulent science. But that's not how it's played. It's still a noble action, everything that he's doing. And I'd like to say that they're piggybacking uh, a plot element of Deep Blue Sea. For this movie, in their search for the cure of Alzheimer's, they are making super intelligent, in this case, monkeys, but in Deep Blue Sea, of course, sharks. I think if you're a scientist, mad or not, if your plan involves making super intelligent blank
1: It does okay. It's just well, not gonna work out. There <laughs> the prefrontal cortex is the thing that makes people intelligent and different. It's because we our prefrontal cortex is, is huge. Animals don't have them that big. Right. They can't get that smart. It's just unless you enlarge their brain mm-hmm. in the front so that it can actually make the neural pathways. It's not possible for all of these things to have happened. Yeah. Like the, the placenta is an amazing organ and filters out viruses. This is part of its job. <laughs> this, this is the part that blows me away. And, you know, I, I'm pregnant right now. This is on my mind. Yeah. This is important to me. Yeah. So it drives me crazy that this the whole setup is erroneous. Yeah. Like you can't. uh... There's
0: going to be a lot of people sniffling and saying you're going to sort of dismiss the science on rise of the planet of the. (laughs) But I, I wouldn't if they were weren't taking it so seriously. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: it's it's the premise on how everything got started. So Uh how can you build a foundation on something that's fraudulent?
0: The talking monkeys are more believable than the people, pretty much wholesale throughout this movie. Yes. That's where we've arrived. This is sort of the age of Guardians of the Galaxy where the two best characters in the movie were not on set, right? (laughs) Um, We are getting to a place where we can do really impressive animations. That said, there are sequences of this movie where I say, wow, that's really good animation. Like, I'm not out of it. I'm very aware that I'm watching animation, but I'm also aware that I'm watching very good animation. You know, this is not one of the cases where I was going to argue that, no, they should have just done monkey suits or they should have done it all practically. No, I think that you needed to go <laughs> digital and this was this was a good use of that medium, so. Yeah. <laughs> when in that direction. Fair enough. Where do you land on the Franco?
1: On the Franco, eh. He... <laughs>
0: Because it's weird. Every now and then, I see him really give a performance, and then there's other times where I'm watching the Spider-Man movies. Exactly, like, what the hell is going uh, on? Here?
1: All I could think is, where do I know him from? Because he's not that memorable. This <laughs> is this is my thing. If he's not that memorable, I mean, it was <laughs> the the main character's name. The credits were rolling, and I'm like Jeremy what was the main character's name? Because that's how memorable his performance was, as I had no idea. I went to IMDb to look it up. Will Rodman. Will Rodman it was. Yeah, well. I have no, I had no idea. Even after I heard it, I was like, really? Huh. That's not ringing any bells at all.
0: Didn't care while I was watching the movie? Didn't care afterwards? Nope. <laughs> no, that's I think it's, we're being a little bit more severe than we need to with
1: the movie. <laughs> but that's, but it was my first question. I yeah. had no idea what the main character's name was. Yeah. He well, killed his father, for Christ the, Christ's sake. The
0: main character was Caesar.
1: Well, yes, the main human. Yeah, but the main human yeah.
0: was significantly less interesting. And even less interesting than that, how about his girlfriend, whose name... Frida, Frida Pinto plays her. Carolyn Arana is the character's name. I would like for you to explain to me her contribution to this movie. <laughs> no, so do you have anything about no, it? it the, says-
1: it's, it's part of the coming of age story. Caesar sees Life will and love. And that's his first jealousy moment of, I want something more. Yeah. I want that.
0: And I definitely get the sort of monkey being raised in a in a in a box. You know, there's a big bad world out there that he needs to be able to jump around in. I get it. You got to throw your feces at something. <laughs> but there's the I, neighbor. Uh, he was a really good target. I'm one of these boys who a lot of the times will will complain about an extraneous love story. And I guess I see what you're saying there, but I also feel like her scenes could have been cut, and I don't think it would have hurt the movie particularly. She was a veterinarian. She was yeah. cute. There might have been some chemistry there, but it wasn't going to go anywhere. That's the other thing. If you know, as I did, that this is sort of leading to the downfall of humanity, again, being put in the position of cheering for these apes is kind of interesting. I mean, maybe we have it coming, but, but is that what we've come to? Where we can't even put humanity in a heroic context in a fiction, <laughs> you know? I actually thought in a way it might have been a cop-out that they went with the ape disease wiping out humanity. I, I kind of like the idea of the apes actually rising up and taking over <laughs> somehow, you know? <laughs> but uh, that's not the movie it was going to be. What I will say is, that, have you seen the follow-up to this? the to, to yeah. Dawn*? Yeah.
1: Good God. Sorry, this you're, is this is this is not, the second Planet of the Apes movie I've ever seen. Right. Okay. So, and the original was not the first.
0: Oh, so you're talking about the Tim Burton yeah. catastrophe. Oh yeah, that one. That's the one. <laughs> Catastrophes, I like yeah. to call them.
1: I really, I'm a big fan of Helen and <laughs> Carter. So there <laughs> we go.
0: Tim Roth. There's some really cool people in that uh, movie. That's not good at all.
1: No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> See, this is way better than the Tim Burton. <laughs> yes. Of the yes. Because I do want to say some nice things about it, because I feel like I'm being more negative than I need to be about it. Uh,
1: yeah, well, something has to be at the bottom of the barrel of this pile.
0: <laughs> you think? Yeah. Well, it's oh, uh, the first time we're going to disagree then, so far. <laughs> but um, I think as a technical achievement, it's great. Again, it sort of reestablishes Andy Circus as the guy to do this sort of yeah. story. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily carry the weight of the apocalyptic vibe, but there's always something keeping me watching. Hey, there's John Lithgow doing a good performance, you know. Uh, there's, you know, a bizarre <laughs> sequence involving uh, the the apes having this strange confrontation with, like, the CEO. Yeah. Which, uh, it's bizarre. Like, it's a stare-down. It's a stare-down thing that, that must have been orchestrated. Like, it's a bizarre scene. <laughs> Uh, there must have been like an ape meeting about this. Yeah, it's unclear to me how many apes were in that facility because it seems after the breakout, there's suddenly a lot more of them than we've seen.
1: But they emptied the zoo. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. They emptied.
1: Uh, the, they, they emptied the research facility. And then,
0: the and then they emptied the zoo.
1: And then they emptied the zoo. So yes, there was a ton more. Yeah. But how did everybody get smart? We're it like. Yeah. The, well, and
0: we, we saw him gas the ones in the clinic. Right,
1: second, right, but not the other ones. Yeah. And Buck was not in the same room. Buck the gorilla, the the silverback. Yeah. He wasn't in the same room to get the virus. So how did he get intelligent? Because he clearly had the green green eyes.
0: He must have been passing out needles. Who knows? Yeah. Again, if there's a, there are threads to be pulled. Yeah. I, it, this is also rise I love of Buck. The so
1: just I am I'm, I'm a big fan of Buck, but. <laughs> Um,
0: I say it's watchable uh, summertime entertainment, uh, and like I said, compared to the Tim Burton one's masterpiece, the movie that follows this, I think is straight up like good. Oh, like, okay. Like I think it's actually a, far out this one. Uh, upon having revisiting this one after seeing the sequel, I think it's part of the reason this one felt like a much slower movie because this is just an origin story that's going to yeah. set up the real story that's going on in the sequel.
1: You know? what, once I got, once I stopped waiting for the sci-fi to kick in, other than the virus, because there isn't, and talking apes, like that, it's not a big stretch for me to step into sci-fi, and I'm like, oh, this is the coming of age, but origin story is a much better explanation for it Mm. but it's the same thing right that's what an origin story is you're coming of age you're coming into your power right but considering that their
0: origin is our end maybe it could have been better than it was yeah
1: i i i did once i got into that then i actually started enjoying the movie but more because i stopped questioning so many things
0: and by that time the explosion
1: yeah so it was all good
0: geometric shapes the size of a football field. What kind of machine can bend a stock of corn over without breaking it? can't be by hand. It's too perfect. So the aliens can't read our minds? Oh. Some animals around the county have been acting funny. Some of them violent. It's almost like they act when they smell a predator around. <laughs>
1: Amman, Nairobi, Bangalore,
0: and Jerusalem same so sure shows on every station every station it is the 18th reported crop site in that country in the last 72 hours
1: i'm a little scared all this stuff on tv joe gills was in here talking about the end of the world they're staying in the shadows it's called program to make sure things are all clear clear for what for the rest of them
0: So good news for M Night Shyamalan fans out there. By all accounts, this new movie that he's come out with, I believe called The Visit, is not a complete piece of shit. By all accounts, this is a big turnaround for the last several movies of his. But we're not going to talk about any of the recent eggs that were laid by Shyamalan, and I hate to I hate to pour it on because the guy gets shit on all the time, but kind of deserves it a lot of the time. Back in 2002, he was still, as far as Hollywood considered, the new Hitchcock, complete with putting himself in all of his own movies and having a fairly rapid output. He's going to do a movie every year or so, and he's going to write and direct. That's kind of an impressive feat in of itself. Uh, personally, I think that's impressive. He's like a storyteller, he, and he's definitely committed to it, and he has at least once made an amazing horror movie. I think he came close to making an amazing horror movie again here, but sadly it is snatched away from us uh, just close to the finish line, as far as I'm concerned. That's not to say it's a perfect movie and doesn't have other problems throughout it, but the other major change from 2002 is, in 2002, Mel Gibson was a bankable star. Mel Gibson's name has been so dragged through the mud there that it's really hard not to see just Mel Gibson, and uh, coming to revisit Signs this many years later, uh, it was hard to, I really did have to work to get past it, it was that Mel Gibson guy, right? Yeah, I had and the
1: same problem.
0: The thing is, is that I don't think he's bad in the movie, I think he's completely decent in the movie, but I still find myself, my. A, I had this voice in the back of my head screaming, Mel, 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 the whole time <laughs> I was the movie, it was like, really distracting. <laughs> Honestly... From the Skilbergian construct, the whole J.J. Abrams approach to sort of the wonder and fear, I think that the emotional tone of the movie is dead on. It's dead on. And I'm like on board with the movie until we get to that fucking third act. But uh, I'm here to get a second opinion. I would love to hear what Susie has to say about M. Night Shyamalan's (laughs) signs.
1: Well, I think that you're right. Time has not been kind to this movie because of Mel's reputation. It was distracting for me seeing that the role of faith in this movie Mm -hmm. was likely a big reason why Mel chose it in the beginning because of his own faith. Because he's the preacher who loses his faith and then comes back to it in a Big ass way, right?
0: Well, revenge and redemption are basically what Mel Gibson does. I, I mean, a few rom coms here to the side, it's what he does. And yes, obviously, the director of The Passion of the Christ, uh, probably a religious fellow. But honestly, for me, I've often wondered if for Mel Gibson, that it wasn't, for him personally, violence that he was specifically attracted to. Especially if you look with the movies he's directed. With the exception of like the Man Without a Face, all of them are not just violent, but the most violent movies ever. Like Braveheart, Apocalypto, and The Passion of the Christ are just unbelievably violent movies. So here we have Mel not in righteous vengeance. He plays this is a redemption Mel, and uh, reserved Mel and scared Mel. He's a yeah. farmer with, uh, uh, who's lost his wife, and he was a he was a priest. Obviously, the the loss of faith is gonna factor into this but he's an unhappy depressed man who starts getting crop circles in his fields and the more he investigates the more he discovers the more we see that the rest of the world is starting to uh, notice these things too uh we think that this farm might be ground zero of a of an alien invasion so that's the basic premise of it
1: Yeah, I thought it was well-paced, honestly, as I think the story unfolded really well. It teased me with all of the things. The scene um, hit the memory of his wife's death and coming to her um, prophetic last words um, as they were. Swing
0: away. Swing away, man. sounds just like nonsense as she's drifting off into nothingness. Yeah. But uh, has context at the end of it. This is why I really wanted to insist that people... Pay attention to the spoilers because I do think all a lot of these movies have big twists at the ending. But of course, Shyamalan is sort of like known for his twists. I don't I don't mind the religious twist in that respect. In that, that's the story they're telling. That's the twist that they're setting up. I think the real problematic twist has to do with the glasses of water everywhere. Uh, do we want to just get to there, or should we <laughs> do we want to work our way to there? Yeah, we
1: can we can go there. There, honestly, the rest of the movie I think is really sound. I. I love um, the bits with the dogs. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the kids have to kill one of the dogs because it attacked them, because it's gone crazy from whatever these aliens have done, right?
0: The the teasing that goes on in this movie. There's an absolutely horrifying found footage sequence where the news releases footage of a child's birthday party, where we get our first sort of blurry look at one of these CG alien creatures. And... It's creepy. It's genuinely creepy. And I like that it's through the perspective of people huddling around their TV watching a global catastrophe unfold because that's what you and I would be doing if a global catastrophe was unfolding. Yes. So you can identify with this. You don't have to be a rural farmer. Like, if shit this big is going down, everybody's in this sort of catatonic place of, like, what are we going to do? And it achieves that really well. And the movie's well-made and smart, which is why... the fact that the aliens' big weakness turns out to be water is such a bummer.
1: It is. It is such a bummer. It it makes it... You go, what? Why? What? How? 60% water the earth is. What
0: level of humidity does it have to be so they won't <laughs> just melt in the air? Yeah. What about the places where it was raining? Yeah. What about, like... like if your weakness is water, you would stay the hell away from planet Earth. Yes. the invasion was doomed from the start. Yes. She doesn't even need, like like, a... Little Miss Sunshine, Abigail Breslin, is the adorable little girl in this. And she's leaving water all over the house. And uh, uh, unbeknownst to her, she's just weaponizing the entire place when they have this amazing twist. You also just spit on them, by the way. <laughs> that would probably be like a bullet wound.
1: You know, the, the, the human body itself is 85% water. Like, yeah. come on!
0: It's a, it's a really, really, really dumb twist.
1: I'm gonna cut on you and kill you, like...
0: And so much else about the movie I like. There's this completely batshit <sighs> crazy scene where they're in town and uh, Joaquin Phoenix meets this army recruiter. Who's got it figured? There's this really weird David Lynchy going for off kilter humor sequence that is, like, I don't know what it's doing in the movie, but I'm glad it's a welcome oh, presence. Yes, movie, right? the sequence in the closet with the claw reaching down underneath the bed, freaky, freaky, freaky. Yes,
1: so much of it, like, it's if so... the
0: ending had come through, this might be at the top of the list. Yep, that's the real tragedy about Signs, and why I can't completely write it off. Mel's in it, and he may be a distraction, but he doesn't suck. No. The movie works until the last 10 minutes, but the last 10 minutes spoils the meal.
1: Yeah, it really, really does. I mean, I love the the picture in the UFO book that looks like their house with yeah. two kids in the, and a, a, a male figure laying in the yard with a swing set. Well, we've already seen this is their house. It is their house. It's got the same fan shape on the attic window, like... And it's so, like, that little thing. There's just so many of those moments that make it so beautiful.
0: Joaquin Phoenix's sort of arc from oh. complete denial to wearing the foil in the head to sitting in the closet with the kids.
1: Yes! Oh, I love And this is the movie where I'm like, Joaquin can really act. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, he's great. Every now and then, right? Oh.
0: So, yeah. yeah.
1: Knew, I'm I, with you.
0: I would have lived with twist number one that... That God was speaking through his dying wife, or whatever, and that you know, swing away was going to get enough for him to fight off the alien and and whatever, uh, get his yes. son back. Saving his son would have been a big enough win. They didn't need to discover the key to the killing the aliens, which, by the way, somebody else somewhere in the world had figured out by that point. Yes,
1: <laughs> there was. It was that. There's a moment, and Mel Gibson's character says. There are two types of people in this world. Um, those who believe in miracles and believe someone will be there to help them and that there are no coincidences or those who believe that they're all on their own and no one is watching out for them. And he goes from the latter back to the former because, to because of the all of the not coincidences. The asthma so that the kid isn't breathing in the toxin yeah. that the alien puts in his face. The water everywhere from the little girl. Right. The baseball bat hanging on the wall. Everything was there for him. Everything. There are no coincidences, and
0: And, I mean, there's a bit of obviousness to that that twist, but I would have taken that. Yes, I would have taken that. Absolutely. Good. Okay, that's the story they're telling here. I'm I'm with you. God versus aliens. God's going to win every time. I would have uh, whatever. I would, it's actually a very sort of smart thing because in a lot of ways, to me, alien life would be really hard evidence in a lot of ways against a lot of religious faiths. <laughs> yeah. Like, though your whole faith is based around it just being us, other things from other planets kind of fucks with that. So yeah, rich bed for science fiction. I also have to mention, I know we're going on and on, but there's a scene in here that just I, I think is amazing where... Where he hits bottom, Mel Gibson's character hits bottom, and he believes the apocalypse is upon us and there's no God, there's no judgment. We're going to be killed by these aliens. So he has a final supper with his family.
1: It's beautiful. It's, it's
0: such a good scene. Oh
1: like, yes, it is. And the breakdown and the oh, it's so meaty and real.
0: Everybody has their little moment in it. The dynamics are played out who he was, is established who he, you know, who they want him to be yes. established. And uh, it's just him trying to say goodbye to his family because at that point it's night of the living dead. That whole sequence and like the banging on the doors that follows like oh, I really wanted this movie to close it for me and it just didn't. But it's that thing that gives me hope when I hear all this good buzz about the new Shyamalan movie. I'm like, well there was the sixth sense and there was most of signs. Director's cut of *Dark City*. This is from Alex Proyas. Uh, at this point, he was mainly known for *The Crow*, and unfortunately, for the death that took place on the set of *The Crow*. Um, he's known as a visionary director, but kind of a difficult one. And then he's got Lem Dobbs on board as a co-screenwriter, and Lem Dobbs did like the the limey, and uh, he's a cool screenwriter in himself, I think. And David S. Goyer, who's into all of these different comic book adaptations these days. It's a really interesting mix of people putting their head together, I assume, to try and make the most fucked science fiction film that they could come up with. what they come up with is Dark City. it came out in 1998 to mixed reviews and almost no box office. Watching it now, the movie seems so amazingly prescient of where science fiction was going. This is before The Matrix, by the way, right? (laughs) Um, Like... It's an amazing piece of science fiction, as far as I'm concerned, and the fact that it almost floated by unnoticed is really unfortunate. Um, Alex Proyas hasn't, in my mind, come close to, you know, meeting this level of success with his science fiction movies, but because of Dark City, I will watch anything that Alex Proyas brings to the table. I said at the beginning of this, at the introduction, that there's two movies in here that I just think are amazing. Well, not to take my hand too much, I think Dark City is
1: one <laughs> Yes, well, I, I didn't, this is where, there is no doubt that Dark City is an amazing film. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. I remember where I was sitting the first time I watched it, in like the third row in Place Riel. And <laughs> like, it, it sitting, and it was just, it was a horrible day. I walk into this movie with my boyfriend, who's also really grumpy, and we walk out feeling amazing. We had no idea what it was like. We're like, that movie was really dark. Yeah. And we feel great. <laughs> what is that? Because it was just, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie.
0: And in this director's cut version, of, we have sort of a completed version. It's interesting, the weird parallels. I mean, it's not the same as uh, Blade Runner in content, but in the world building. And in that, there's several cuts of the movie. And this cut gets rid of controversial narration. In the theatrical cut, this whole movie starts with the character played by uh, Kiefer Sutherland giving you a brief rundown, or like so sort of orienting you in a very basic way. And the movie, by design, is meant to keep you confused. So losing that narration and filling out the scenes, even if they seem extraneous, it's all the journey in this movie, right? We wake up in this hotel room with this character, played by Rufus Sewell, and he doesn't know who he is... We don't know who he is, but he's in a bad situation. There's a body in a room and something has just happened. It feels like someone has just left. He's waking from a bad dream and he's lost his identity. And his exploration of this world and his journey to find out who he is is ours. It's very quick and kinetic. The cutting in it is is very fast. And especially in 1998, people weren't used to that. And this movie does not spoon feed you. You just got to take the ride. And if you don't, if you hold back, if you're resistant to it, if your head's in your phone, it's not going to work. You miss it. But if it. you go with the movie, it's amazing. Yep. <laughs> I hate to be so hyperbolic. But,
1: but it but... is. I my It's this spectac- <laughs> spectacular, noir, mystery, sci-fi thing, movie that just is brilliant.
0: Yeah. Um, well, start with the visuals. Okay. Okay. Um, it sort of seems like we're set in a like 40s 50s sort of noir world city very dark um, but familiar but the fashion sort of spray all over the place even to the 60s and 70s at the time and it's a mixed bag and at first it just sort of seems like an aesthetic choice or an affectation of the movie but the more we learn about the world the more we learn why this might be the case um the confusion of our main character and the constantly changing world around him and the rules that con- to constantly change of the world around him is very disorienting until you get that payoff now it's your willingness to wait for it and while you're waiting by the way you're going to encounter some of the creepiest villains i think i've ever seen the uh, aliens or the creatures strangers, strangers they call themselves Use our bodies as vessels, as they say, and refer to each other as Mr. Hand and Mr. Book, and, Mr. and they walk Quick. in a very sort of st- sort of stiff, stilted way, and because uh, it's almost like they're not used to piloting this form of life, you know.
1: Mostly, they just float when they can get away with it. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. They don't blend very well at all. Like if they were trying to make a costume to make them sort of blend into the city, no, no, they're all very creepy. And the more we learn about them, the creepier it is. Everything's on the table here. You could say, is this guy just having a psychotic nightmare? And we're just seeing, since we're so locked into Rufus Sewell's perspective, you know, whatever. Any kind of information that we get from the Jennifer Connelly character. In this genre, we are trained to not trust the dames, right? (laughs) Dames are always trouble in the noir universe, right? And the other information person is Kiefer Sutherland, who is uncharacteristically and fucking Tastic. Oh, I movie. know, right? <laughs> um, uh, who gives him information, okay. but who is clearly damaged. We so. don't realize again how damaged until the script unfurls. <laughs> yes. We are going to have to get into the spoilers because, I, I mean, it's just necessary to talk about the movie. But again, if, if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't watched Dark City yet, who are you? <laughs> stop. Stop, stop, stop cuz we're going to get into it. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: so oh my god, there the first Jennifer Connelly and you say there uh, her character, the wife. Yeah. And women aren't to be trusted. Well, that's her whole opening line is she cheated on her. She ha- she's the one that had an affair. Yes. And then and she's a singer in a nightclub really sexy singer. So of course she's had an affair. She's yes. just not trustworthy. She's too beautiful. She's too smart. She goes directly from seeing her husband or finding out about him to going to the police about him. Yeah. Like, she turns, she turns him in, more or less. There is without compelling
0: evidence that he's involved in some murder, to be fair.
1: <laughs> to be fair. But she just... There's nothing... She has no loyalty to him.
0: But she's has been, like everyone else, somewhat programmed, so it's not even all her fault. She is playing the role that she has been given, and Mm -hmm. aren't we all? As far as that whole, you know, Keanu Reeves cue the whoa, it beat the Matrix to the entire world around you is a lie, and there is sort of this operating system behind things that is fucking with you. The big twist that we find of the movie is these strangers are indeed aliens, and that Dark City is nowhere on Earth. It's like this spaceship Rubik's Cube that they play with every night. And all the people, all the denizens of Dark City are their little lab rats that they experiment with. Rufus Sewell being the most interesting lab rat of all because he's eventually, after all this experimentation, started to reject it and starting to lock into his own identity and is starting to try and find his way out to this Shell Beach, which was just another great narrative sort of hook of the movie. Everybody has a Shell Beach, a place that they want to get to, an ideal place that they talk about and think about, but almost never are actually
1: there, right? They never actually try to get there. Yeah. And isn't that a human condition that we all have these dreams, but we never, how many of us actually step outside of our comfort zone and go somewhere where that we have no idea where it is? Yeah. Right? The
0: slippery reality of the world and how aware or not aware the different characters are. One of my favorite things. I mean, I would have loved the movie anyway, but I think the thing that really makes me love the movie is the character of Bumstead played by. Oh, I know.
1: Much. I was just thinking about him. Oh, he is so they just so intricately woven every little puzzle in this movie, and he's such. He is part of that intricate weaving.
0: He's just a, oh. a, an experiment tour away from being Rufus Sewell. He's almost got this figure. He knows that this, there's something wrong with his world, and that it's bigger than he can just put his finger on, you know? And unfortunately, his revelation, his solving of the case, sort of coincides with his end. But his end also coincides with his freedom, right? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty deep and pretty like spectacularly like conceived. And The visual scope of the movie uh, of the the city changing There's amazing scenes where the city goes to sleep and Rufus Sewell is the only one who stays awake All of a sudden everybody just drops Everything stops and the whole idea of that is creepy the realization of it is creepy And when they cut to the wide shot of the city and all the the trains stop and all the cars stop That's really creepy and then you go to the next level and realize that it was all accomplished with miniatures including the cars and the train in that shot. Those were miniatures. Like,
1: oh, It's a beautiful, beautiful movie, which is why some of the irregularities stick out to me. Okay. Um, one of which, um, there's got to be a theme here. Um, when the strangers are um, doing their thing at midnight, right. what happens is a face opens up and there's a clock behind it. Right. What the fuck is the point of that? There's got to be some imagery, some symbolism in that. Because nothing in this movie is really done just for the pretty.
0: I kind of saw that as sort of the machine that was running the city and starting and stopping time for the denizens of Dark
1: City. Yes, but why is it behind a face? Why hide it? It's below the city. No humans go there. Hmm. This is this is my questioning because... They're down there. They've brought even um, Dr. Schreiber, Kiefer Sutherland. More
0: interesting than a bunch of levers and wheels, I guess. Well, I th-
1: the clock is fine. I like the clock. The clock makes sense to me. It's just why do you need to? They're very practical aliens. Yeah. Why, why? Why the show? Yeah. Yes, because they. Uh, I'm really clear that they, I'm sure they don't worship a God. So what is the symbolism that's supposed to be there? Because I couldn't easily make it work. And that's one of the things because they show it several times over. There's got to be something there. There's something missing with that piece for me. And not that this breaks the movie at all. I really had to, I'm like, oh, that's weird. But I noticed it and the movie is still beautiful and I still loved it. Yeah. Having said that, it still puts me to sleep every time.
0: Oh, really? You fall asleep during dark city? Every time.
1: Huh. Even in the theater, I think I fell asleep for a few minutes. Wow. Yeah, that especially was... during the fight scene.
0: I've never had that problem, but I guess I can say I have watched it with people who have fallen asleep during... <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's, it's very so... dense, and I guess it's not something you want to start late. But uh, I think, well, for me, just the momentum of the piece itself kind of drags me through. Yes,
1: it, but... absolutely. And there's that momentum, but there's also... it. Maybe it's just because it is a very dark movie. Up until the final scene, mm-hmm. it is a dark movie because it is never daytime yeah. in this city. It's called Dark City for a right. reason. The strangers are averse to the light. Yeah. It's dark. Midnight is actually every 12 hours. It is never daytime. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to lose some negative things to say. I think that for me, the big climactic battle... At the end of this, the sort of ends thing is a little bit more conventional than I guess I was expecting from such an unconventional movie, but just getting this movie made, as fucked as it is, was an accomplishment of itself, oh, yeah. and by that point, I'd already loved the movie, like, they'd have to really signs it hard for me <laughs> to, to not really be in love with this by the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do think, and I'm, I'm a fan of Jennifer Connelly, but uh, I had this thing, I would, I, I would prefer... Be able to prophesize Oscar winners by saying that they'll never win an Oscar. I remember saying, probably after watching this movie, to somebody like, "I love me some Jennifer Connelly. She is so beautiful, but she's never going to win an Oscar." <laughs> she proved me wrong. I said a very similar thing about Charlize Theron once. She's she's a beautiful woman, but I don't know if she's ever going to win an Oscar. So I've stopped saying that because I feel like I, I've got this weird power. Um, Not that she's weak in the movie. I mean, she plays her role fine, but she doesn't distinguish herself amongst all of these other... This is one of the first things I've ever seen Rufus Sewell in, and it would be a tough role to play. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, uh, for the most part, yeah, I have... uh, There's very little that I would change. I was thrilled to hear about the director's cut, and I was glad to have it. Um, There's a little bit more Jennifer Connelly singing, but most of the stuff that was added... I didn't. Either didn't. I didn't clock it, especially. Nope. I was just absorbed in the world.
1: Exactly. I was. I was hoping you would know what was different because I couldn't. I had no recollection of it was what. There's a
0: few scenes that go on longer than they they should. There's not a lot of like. There's just. There's just more. And uh, in a, in a movie as generous as this, I will take it.
1: Yeah. He's dead. Captain's dead. Driving twenty feet per minute. We'll have 70 seconds the level is
0: beast out. They were the only survivors on a barren planet with a deadly prisoner intent on escape. All you people are so scared of me. But when darkness fell, a total
1: eclipse. He
0: was the only one deadly enough to fight this kind of evil. And it ain't me you gotta worry about now. So in the very first episode of Rank and Review, Susie, I reviewed with your husband a haunted submarine thriller called Below. It was directed by, I'm going to say, David Toohey. T-W-O-H-Y is his name. Um, And uh, this movie we're about to talk about from 2000, uh, Pitch Black, he's also directed.
1: I Um, actually remember watching Below with my husband and under the covers with it up to my (laughs) eyes so that I could cover it any moment. So that one was working for
0: you. (laughs) Um, Vin Diesel had been around I think that uh, this is around the time of that Triple X movie too I think similar I don't know well, I, I, I don't have the trajectory of Triple uh, X came career. afterwards. so this is one of the first sort of starring vehicles Vin Vin fan here you're a Vin fan okay yeah. Well, not because um, he can act I'm not a not Vin <laughs> Diesel fan but I will say that for me my least favorite part about Pitch Black is Riddick And that's going to be a problem, I know. Like, they're going to build other movies all around Riddick. But this story about a space sort of shipwreck, for lack of a better term. spaceship gets hit by asteroids or something. There's a crash landing. A bunch of ragtag survivors have to group together to survive. And they discover that not only are there creatures that come out at night that can eat you, but that very soon an alignment of planets is going to put the planet in complete darkness and making them helpless so they have to band together work together to fight this evil in the mix we have this riddick character who is this criminal who is being shipped from point a to point b who is you know originally the main main threat that they feel they have to deal with before the aliens are discovered and for me my problem with riddick isn't that the character himself is it. They take such pains to establish, for me, a fairly believable sci-fi universe. The crash is taken very seriously. The stakes are very high. All of the people being beaten and bruised and surviving in this harsh environment seem to be reacting real. Riddick is in a movie. Riddick always knows that he's in a movie. He does everything but wink at the audience. And he breaks for me the reality that was established in the world. And it's a distraction. Because the world is really well rendered. The monsters are quite frightening, even though very very Geiger-esque, very Aliens-esque, but they do the job. But for me, I run out of characters to like pretty quickly in this movie.
1: I felt that every single character in this movie was actually really human. So flawed. Everybody had secrets. You had a reason to hate them all. You also had reasons to like them all. They're still trying to do their best. The docking pilot, uh, Carolyn. Um, Caroline. Caroline.
0: Yeah, Radha Mitchell. Sure. He's like the, main, the main character. Yeah, the blondie. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, she, she tries to eject the passengers at yeah. the beginning. And she has to karmically overcome this, which she does.
0: This is one of the elements that I wanted to talk about, but yes. Yeah,
1: like I just it's a beautiful little arc for her. She's just, she's, everybody is so human for me. And just, we get- Would you
0: count Riddick in that? When you say one. everybody, do you count Riddick?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, because he has been painted. We don't actually get to know about Riddick. We see he's sneaky. We, But all we hear is accounts from Johns about how awful he is. Mm right? He's never given an opportunity to prove who he is one way or another, to prove he's an asshole.
0: I think he proves he's an asshole. (laughs) Yes,
1: but is it because that's, what's the expectation of him? Or is it because, like, is that the expectation? Because as soon as somebody tells him, no, you can't do that. I am not going to, I'm not going to stand here and let you do that because I believe in this. Clearly somebody who can't beat him and Physically or stop him in any way. Right. So he chooses a different way because somebody hasn't pigeonholed him.
0: For me, Riddick's quality, the reason that we're supposed to like him is that he's cool and badass.
1: Well, he is badass. Yeah. I think I even wrote badass.
0: That's that's it. That's it. I'll put you this because I do think that radam and shill's character basically has to pay spoilers with her life for the sin of trying to eject those survivors. If Riddick was in the seat, would he have done anything differently? I argue he would have ejected them the same way, because he, like her, is a survivor, and that was the best chance of him surviving. Absolutely. And he would have done it and not thought a thing about it. And if Riddick did it, it would be cool. But if she does it, it's a death-worthy sin. She cannot, she cannot be allowed to live through this movie, because <laughs> she was willing to kill these innocent people to keep herself alive right
1: yeah she actually says the line i'm not willing to die for them that's right yeah and it's a very see that's a piece it's so human mm-hmm. we're out for ourselves like in it at a very instinctual level it's all about survival but
0: my point is in this world uh it for her to do it that's a big sin for riddick to do it it's
1: badass see you see it. it as a sin but i didn't she's she's oh, trying i think she's he,
0: very harshly for it actually yes
1: <laughs> she's trying to hide it she's judging herself she's beating the shit out of herself for it
0: she obviously feels bad about it yes
1: mm-hmm. but why should she Riddick just lacks has already seen why the fuck does it matter mm-hmm. he just knows that part already so he's beyond the guilt of it so why does that make it makes him badass it just makes him a little bit it, it makes him see think it's just a perspective difference it doesn't make him less worthy of anything she thinks she has to die yeah. so she dies
0: oh you think your heart was in it because she was right at the finish line I really felt like the movie was expecting that to be a big reveal but I was like no Rod is not making it off this planet <laughs> sorry go. yeah no sequel for you well that was <laughs> but
1: that was another beautiful thing it had that nobody's safe yeah. feeling to it for me Except and because even Riddick because when it first came out mm-hmm. It was called. It, there's no mention of how popular Riddick is. Right. It was called Pitch Black. Correct. So there was no expectation for anybody to make it out I of that. I was bad.
0: never afraid for him. And again, he was never afraid. Uh, like again, I think an argument could be made that the reason that Riddick stays with these people is not altruistic and to save as many people as possible. No. But as to the staying with the group is his best way to survive. The monsters will busy feasting on them, and I'm bad enough, badass enough to survive. Again, his moral compass is just as skewed as anyone else's. He is an anti-hero by definition. That's fine. Yeah. But I I really got distracted by him sort of breaking the reality for him, everyone. Like, not only can they not find him, he makes a show of them not finding him. He'll go sit in the lawn chair and sip (laughs) the guy's drink, right? Who is that for?
1: That... That was to prove to Johns that he's better than him. But
0: no one saw him do that but us. That was like that was a show for us. Of <laughs> no, the going, guy... The ah, gu- the- I'm fucking badass, you guys.
1: <laughs> I thought the guy whose booze he was drinking saw him and got upset.
0: I think he saw that his, his drink was gone, did he not? I, I'm, I anyway, can't... Anyway, yeah. the point is, is like, he does circles around these people. He's not threatened by them. He's not particularly seemed that phased by these creatures, which you'd think would at least... Have, be a surprise like some sort of shift in his you know face
1: well okay so one he's been a criminal for how long and as a criminal do you show when you're surprised or is that a bad idea Uh, to show weakness
0: jumps out i think that like uh,
1: did a monster actually jump out at him the
0: first time he sees it when he's rescuing rod and michelle from being dragged on the tow line underground
1: zeke when Zeke was killed, he was right fucking there and right. saw it. So I don't think that, that he was not surprised because he knew there was fucking something hunting them. So I think he had some preparation, I, I whereas really, everybody didn't.
0: I felt like the stakes were felt by everyone but him. Anyway, And this is really honestly not me saying Vin Diesel sucks. No, this I know. saying that Vin Diesel is actually doing what the script wants him to do. I just take issue with that choice. Yeah. Because I think every time he winks at us and does something badass Ugh. and does a superhero move, I'm like taken out of the reality and the stakes hurt for it see and, uh, and like i sound like i'm being really negative about the movie that's the thing <laughs> i like the movie i just want to backtrack and say because because yeah. i've been devil's advocate this whole time. yeah like it's well made the creatures are cool and as far as a creature jumping out of the dark and eating people it's a great success oh, yeah. i just get distracted by the the the, the riddick character
1: i'm and really I... sorry that but, but you got distracted <laughs> by the riddick character because i i love this movie yeah so much. I loved it when I first saw it. I'm not a fan of horror movies. Right. I loved this movie. Right. Well,
0: uh, in different terms for different folks. And again, I don't dislike the movie. I I just, that choice seems weird to me. To, To make a world that seems and feels so real and established, like a gritty reality for everybody but this one guy it's like oh he could have been played by a muppet or a cartoon he just stuck out for me you know and as a result the guy that i was supposed to hear cheer for was the guy that i wished would die but was the one guy who i knew would not yeah him and the kid were the only two people who are like they're not killing the kid they're not killing and they're the not kid. killing they're well not there killing was
1: a, to be fair there was four kids and they killed three of them mm-hmm. <laughs> but the precocious oh yeah with a secret yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean and the like, holy man it is
0: it, it is in a lot of ways addressed up paint by numbers creature features they have to get from point a to point b they are attacked they're whittled away oh yeah a core group of survivors are whittled down to a couple and you know
1: they figure out the mystery and you know it all of that stuff um, what i really it's like
0: complicated but very well made
1: what there's a little nuance there that i picked up on this time with that um, the creatures have to come out of the caves because the light from their offspring actually will hurt them
0: the life from their offspring,
1: you know, all of the little baby critters that they put in the bottles,
0: oh.
1: right? They have to come out of the caves, otherwise they get hurt.
0: So they have to wait for a night before they can do that. That's a yeah. life cycle thing. Yeah.
1: So, anyways, I just thought that was uh, something that I picked up on. This, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool because uh. it
0: nerdy little aside too the alignment of the planets thing gave me a huge Dark Crystal vibe nice I got a big Jim Henson there <laughs> all of a sudden I'm in the middle of this <laughs> um no, it, I mean, it's, it's well-made. It's well-made. It's one of those things that's, again, it's not to the scale of science. It's just so close to being really good to me that it just, it becomes frustrating because you're that close for me, you know? Yeah. For so you, it got there. For yeah. For me, it's just about there. Yeah. And I would almost rather it not be that close, <laughs> you know? Like, it's just like, I know.
1: <laughs> I know. It's so infuriating when things get that close and you can't have the, the piece of pie. Uh, yeah.
0: That's where I line pitch black. Is there anything else you wanted to say?
1: Um, I don't think so. I think I'm good.
0: All right, sorry, Ben. Don't move.
1: You just wake up. Yeah. You'll never make it. Run! Those things out there. They what? didn't see me human. They're fast. No! am no! stronger than you know. They come after you, run. No! If you run, and you don't look back. Help me! What's happened to us? We're becoming like them. Oh my god. My wife. I've gotta find her before those
0: animals do. Can't assume that help will be coming. Is that your part Some of it is. What happened to the passengers?
1: There's something wrong with them. They were hunting. <laughs>
0: How do you think you would react if you knew the truth? Okay, uh, in 2009, this Pandorum movie comes out. It's directed by Christian Albert. I'm not familiar with anything else that he's done. There's, uh, I think, Renee Renee Zelliger thriller called Case 49 or something like that that I haven't got around to seeing. Um, uh, what I will say about it, for a director I'm not familiar with, He's got a good visual eye. I think that the movie does look really cool. Um, And similarly, you said there's sort of a similar theme going through the movies. There's the establishment of a character, in this case, um, Ben Foster, who wakes up in this cryo tube and has to like peel a layer of skin off himself and take these tubes out of his body, sort of reminiscent of Neo in the Matrix. And uh, much like Rufus Sewell in Dark City, as he discovers the world that he's in, we discover the world that he's in, and uh, we sort of have that same initial disorientation. And uh, it's another one of these journey movies. I will say that this is a much less rewarding journey than when we in with Dark City, in that I think what this movie suffers from for me is that it is a collision of ideas from other movies. You can almost sort of piece little things like this together. (laughs) Point A goes into slot B here. Basically, this spaceship we have is like an arc of humanity. In the story, we have not mastered a way to go to light speed if we want to travel somewhere in space. It's the long haul, so the people are asleep. And they're waking up, seemingly one at a time, in random intervals, and they seem to be in a void. They obviously haven't reached their destination. They're not ready to populate any sort of life-giving planet, but... Where are they? Who are they? And what are these creepy creatures that we seem to be encountering on the ship? Um, Dennis Quaid is one of the characters that we're introduced to early in the movie who has sort of taken the leadership role. Um, But we have reason to suspect everybody. We've got elements of sort of possibly alien-human hybrid creatures. We've got space craziness. And we've got very rich production values and the sort of cyberpunk feel to it but I couldn't help but feel like it was a bunch of pretty people playing made-believe at some point. I like Ben Foster as an actor. he I know him as the exposition machine from 30 Days of Night. That's <laughs> death come. <laughs> that guy who sort of like, uh, you know, really seemed to relish that sort of yeah. very familiar role. And I like him. And as a rule, I like Dennis Quaid. He is kind of Dennis anything for a dollar Quaid, but... <laughs> There's a reason he's been around for decades, because he's a solid actor.
1: He is solid, yeah.
0: Yep. Um, but once I get to sort of the, the uh, sort of creature effects and the sort of action beats to the movie, I felt myself caring less and less about what was going on. I wish I could give my, put my finger on the button scene that turned me or, or where that the, the worm turned for me, but it did.
1: It did. It does. It just, it's a decent movie, but... That's the best I can give it. It has some really great parts. Some good scenes that are really visually wonderful yeah. and creepy. The, the the alien things are creepy. Weird
0: looking, yeah. <laughs> They're
1: creepy. And there's it's got some good thrills, some good scares in it. Well, for me, and yet when I watched this, by the end of it, I was mocking it. And and I tried to remember, like, I, I can't even remember why I was.
0: Where did it go wrong? I think one of the more ob- obvious things, and again, we're going right into twist car- territory, but the space madness thing with the Dennis Quaid character did not work for me. Um, and you knew something was hinky about the guy who he sort of finds birthed out of these pipes... Because he didn't wake up like everyone else. What was he doing up there? Like, right away, all sorts of flags went up. And I think it was, you know, it wasn't as smart as it thought it was, as far as that. Yeah. Um, But that undercut the actual genuine reveal about where the ship actually was. And I thought that was a pretty good reveal. But by that time, by the time I got that payoff... I'd already kind of unplugged somewhat emotionally yeah. from the movie.
1: Uh, there was something in that dynamic. I didn't. I stopped caring. Oh, they're both fucking crazy. Oh, they're the same person. Oh, um, and I mean, um, Gallo is his actual name, um, uh, but the the actor is uh, um, he. I I recognized him so much. He he played that role well enough. For me to not recognize him from a movie that I've seen at least a dozen times.
0: Gallo's sort of the, this movie's Tyler Durden, right? Yeah. He's the character who's there, but not really there. Who's there, but not really yeah. there, yeah. Just to orient to uh, the business. Sorry. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's my, I actually reference um, 12 Monkeys in that this crazy, I liked it better. Right. This crazy than the crazy that came with 12 Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um I thought it was much more well done when he's finally giving himself a shot to help himself feel better. They're struggling, him and this other character, and all of a sudden the arms merge into one for the shot to go in. Right. And that's, it's the, oh, they're the same character. It was a good way to play that out, just how crazy this guy is.
0: Yeah. Um, And again, beats of the movies I really like. I like the story of the captain who went crazy and jettisoned an entire population of people out into space. Like, that's a really horrible sort of sort of Twilight zoning idea embedded in the middle of this. I think what I was less groovy on were the sort of, I guess we can say it, it had been there for so long, but some of the people that woke up have actually sort of developed and over millennia would have seemed that they're, they're people that have grown into these hunters. But they look like video game cre- creations. They remind me of Reavers, mm-hmm. and I like Reavers, but it doesn't make sense that people would naturally develop into Reavers. I didn't particularly no. buy that. And there's, there's something about this guar, rock and roll aesthetic that didn't seem genuine. I mean, it would be cool. The idea is cool. What would we evolve into if we were basically forced to evolve in a tin can? But I don't believe that's what it would be. I just, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. And that's a tough sell. It looks cool. And it's totally, from a marketing perspective, what the kids would want to see. But uh,
1: it, I mean, it, it seemed like the formula should have worked, but it didn't really And I, I mean, you know, my comment at the end, I mean, well, it's a good thing they were pointed in that direction. Otherwise they would have hit the floor and died, you know, (laughs) like that. I mean, why would I need it? It's just decent.
0: I think as cool as it is to wake up with the Ben Foster character and sort of find the orientation there by doing that, we lost the stakes. And the stakes is, this is sort of Battlestar Galactica, right? This is the last hope of humanity. You know, if this ship crashes, if everybody on board is reduced to these creatures, that's it for civilization. Um, But because we don't have that, we we don't feel the weight of it until it's sort of revealed to us as a plot point later in the movie. And by that point, we're already distracted by other things.
1: And maybe that's just the whole point. It was just, there was It was too complicated. Um, One of the things that I really liked, honestly, about um, Signs was that it was simple, and we got really great character development out of that. Um, The the plot being simple. This... The plot was complicated.
0: Yeah. And I don't don't think... Quite as smart as it thought it was. Like I said, (laughs) I totally saw the Dennis Quaid's going crazy, and it reminded me of the Michael Bean character from The Abyss. I was constantly recognizing scenes from other better movies. You know what I mean? And this is not uncommon. A lot of movies suffer from this, but this is an amalgam of other movies. Event Horizon came to mind a few times. Um, Just It's space cyberpunk horror, and I think that there is an audience for it, but... uh, I just found myself wanting to like it more than I did. Yeah, um, I do want to say something that worked for me and I think a key mystery and one of the only things that I didn't figure out. I figured out who the monsters were. It seemed pretty obvious that it wasn't invading, that they were already there. I figured out the Dennis Quaid thing. But what I didn't get and was quite intrigued by was this whole thing that out all the windows and through the sensors is just nothing. It was just a void. It was just black outside the windows. And they didn't know where they were, it like, they traveled so far beyond space that it wasn't space anymore, it was just like a void. And I was really like, the, the, that makes the stakes kind of like crazy, like even if they win, they lose in that. And I was genuinely surprised that out of desperation, when they start firing the chutes out, that the ship has crash landed and has been underwater this whole time. So when the pods sh- ship out, they actually surface in a breathable atmospheric planet. The planet
1: they were traveling to. They
0: had been there and probably had been there for who knows how many thousands of years before he was figuring it out. But the crazy captain wanted to, you know, play with his rats in his maze. It's really a microcosm in Dark City from his perspective in a lot of ways. Only he becomes the strangers, right? But again it's just a piece borrowed from another movie that's way better than this one yep i feel like i'm just saying the same thing over and over again and being really mean to pandorum it's not as bad as i'm making it to be but it's not great
1: (laughs) it's not great it's decent
0: you're a very good observer cole we have a very advanced program something very different an opportunity to reduce your sentence considerably and possibly play an important role in returning the human race to the surface of the earth. No license, no prints, no warrants. But he took on five cops like he was dusted to the eyeballs.
1: What year is this? What year do you think it is? 1996. That's the future, James. Do you think you're living in the future? I'm simply trying to gather information to help the people in the present trace the path of the virus. We're not in the present now. This is a place for crazy people. I'm not saying you're not mentally ill on the all I know you're <coughs> crazy as a loon. The army of the Twelve Monkeys, they're the ones that spread the virus. Monkeys? He's been living in a meticulously constructed fantasy world and that world is starting to disintegrate.
0: You haven't become addicted to that dying world. So, before we start talking about Twelve Monkeys, I have to confess a personal bias oh yeah i'm i'm a big fan of terry gilliam as a director as a member of monty python's flying circus as a person and a creative individual in the world i like terry gilliam and so i come into terry gilliam movies wanting to like them and the thing about 12 monkeys in a way is this is Until he did the Brothers Graham, I guess, the most Hollywood thing, at least on the surface, that he's ever done. It stars Bruce Willis, for God's sake. And he's sort of, it seems like, the central action role that he's done so many times he can and does sleep through nowadays. But here we have a story about uh, a future world after the Earth has been devastated by plague, which is sending... it's not really clear if he's an inmate or if that's just how bad life sucks for people underground. Uh, but he has is volunteered in quotation marks to be sent back in time to try and find ground zero of the plague and see if they can do anything to find a cure so that they can reclaim the surface but it's all done through this perspective of Terry Gilliam's sort of mad circus it does play into the themes of the movie in fact the idea that he he might be going mad. James Cole, the Bruce Willis character, actually becomes a comfort to him from time to time. It would be so really great for him to just be able to say, no, I'm just a paranoid schizophrenic. The fate of the world does not actually rest on my shoulders. But as we inevitably see, the fate of the world does rest (laughs) on Cole's shoulders. And he has a destiny to fulfill. And uh, the sort of circular nature nature of the movie uh, brings us to its inevitable conclusion, um, it's sort of a spring trap of a movie in that it's very specifically tightly built to get us to a, a point of conclusion. Uh, that sounds really obvious. There's a. I'll just <laughs> say, go right to the spoiler because I'm trying oh, to. Oh, you have to. Uh, he, as a child, Cole witnesses his own death. This becomes increasingly obvious as the movie progresses, but that's the big reveal. Uh, we are we are sort of seeing the events that leads up to this character dying and we have to sort of decide well was his death worth it was it a success dark territory the movie's also quite funny the movie's also quite exciting and the movie also possesses a quite manic performance from Bradley Pitt which was actually Oscar nominated for this controversially to some people for this for this movie I think it's wonderful. I really am a fan of 12 Monkeys. And I went in, even though I was a fan of uh, Terry Gilliam, a little bit worried because I thought I knew what I was stepping into. And as it turns out, I had no idea what I was stepping into, but I was delighted. By <laughs> the look on your face, I feel we may disagree.
1: I think we may disagree. Um, I don't even know where to start. One, this movie really does center on. Am I crazy? Like, it feels like the center of it all. For every, almost almost every character has to ask themselves that question. Am I crazy? Um, and they, it's totally played up. The camera angles, everything feels crazy. You feel unsettled watching this movie. It is not supposed to be settling, right? So it does that very well. I just don't get the point of the movie. Like, what is there? Is there a point? I'm used to there being a point. What is this story actually trying to tell us? If it's just a circle, it just is that all there is. Are we just doomed to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again? And can we not get off? I
0: definitely (laughs) think it's a much more of a hero's journey than it is maybe pure sci-fi to that respect. But it's basically uh, his fate is to die, be shot and killed in that <laughs> airport. But we do find out that what he did there did count. Through what he did, they understood who started this, and they would at least be able to get a sample of the ground zero of the play so that they might in the future be able to reclaim the surface. We are led to believe in movie language that he was successful in leading them to the David Morse character. And that was his mission, and that will presumably eventually save the world but the mission seems so impossible and the stakes are so high and the constant disorientation of being shifted around through time makes the bruce willis character a kind of want to be crazy and b act like a crazy person when he you know fucking Pulls a tooth out of his head because he believes that's how the people in the future are tracking him.
1: And he's not wrong.
0: That's the thing. But to the rest of the world, this is a schizophrenic, acting completely fucking crazy. But he's not wrong, and that's the whole character that Madeline Stowe kind of represents. Her journey is: this guy is crazy too. Holy shit! This guy is not at all crazy. Yeah.
1: So, but and you you think that it you are we are led to believe that they. The people in the future actually figured it out.
0: Absolutely. The last thing we see is one of the future doctors on board the plane. Right.
1: David Morris. Right. Okay.
0: So they, they knew that it was the guy with the ponytail. He had the concoction. If they have a sample of the virus in its purest form, in theory, they can.
1: But it was that, but it was one of the scientists, you know, how many years before? Well, they'd, obviously, she's old. Sent,
0: they'd obviously sent the scientists back to get the actual sample right
1: i don't think it's that obvious at you all i don't think so no because
0: she was one of the people that sent bruce willis she was one of the people yes yeah, so. wagging her finger yeah so the only reason that she would be in that timeline had, is, is that she had been sent back you mm. know your, your argument that she happened to be on that
1: plane everything else was a co- coincidence
0: No, i, I honestly I, I think we just disagree on that plot point there's no reason for her to be on the plane like just there was the no passengers. reason
1: for Bruce Willis's Bruce Willis to be on the airport. As far as I could tell, they went into the airport and left with no extra people well, being going missing. I'll accept the
0: coincidence of Bruce Willis seeing himself and uh, get shot down because that's the that's the sort of circle of the movie. But piling it on with the other people from the past, I, I, I don't know, I disagree with that. I, th- I think in movie language, that's saying that he was successful. They know, because the misdirection of the movie is they think it's the Brad Pitt character. Right, through the whole the movie, army of the which is
1: men. also infuriating, because if you start at the beginning, he, he's a fucking moron, the, this Brad Pitt character. he's He is, and I don't even think he plays it well, it drives me crazy, it's like he's proving that he can act. Yeah. Right. Well, uh,
0: whether or not he was worthy of an Oscar nomination, I won't. I won't argue. But I will say that the character he's playing is a fool. He's a rich, spoiled child who happens to be mentally ill. Um, He fits the bill as of the mad of someone who's crazy enough to, you know, intentionally start this plague. I understand why they would think he was a suspect, but that's the misdirect. Uh, we like Brad Pitt because he's Brad Pitt, and he's and Twitch, a lot of people like Brad Pitt. I know you apparently hate his guts, but uh, so like... I liked him in film and Louise, and that's do, it. Just do you really, are you really going to bring about the end of the world? Are you so crazy that you're going to do this? And I kind of thought it was a cool reveal that what his plan was was to release all the animals from the zoo, and that's why we saw the weird wildlife that we did in the center of New York, or at the beginning of the movie, why there was a lion there,
1: right? Yeah, we did uh,
0: that was because he released him from the zoo like it the the past you know does have echoes in the future and that was the misdirect we thought that he was going after Brad Pitt yeah. he was going after David Morse and by seeing this future woman on the plane next to David Morse I think the message is he was successful until that point movie language they thought it was Brad Pitt
1: yes so you've mentioned it circle, several times how secular mm-hmm. this movie is and that's exactly what it felt like like there was no way off of this loop. There was well, no way. That's a
0: great philosophical argument. There was, there, there was no way to end with there,
1: that. It felt like a hamster wheel for yeah. everything involved. Like everything was total chaos. Nobody had any actual control over this situation. And there was just this perpetual loop of repeating all of the same mistakes from the past.
0: Well, but it, again, it, it was a loop in that he saw himself be shot. And by that providence... Movie language again dictates that inevitably that will happen. Arguably, there's nothing that Bruce Willis could have done. No, mis- all the decisions he would make was going to inevitably lead him to that. But it's not like the big wheel that's happening over and over again. He, his great sacrifice, that death, is what was going to bring give the earth back to
1: the people. But it wasn't a great sacrifice. He didn't need to die. He didn't. In no time, like he.
0: It sucks that he died. Yeah. He no, it didn't it w- need to die. Yeah, it was no great...
1: T- his death actually accomplished nothing, though. Right? You say was it was running, a sacrifice. He was
0: running after the guy in the ponytail when he was shot down by security. Right. So when the people in the past thought, why was he running after the dude with the ponytail? No!
1: Jose came back and told him, gave him the gun, and he says, who do I shoot? Jose knew. Jose knew at that point.
0: Oh, he was trying to shoot the David Morse character. Yeah,
1: like... It, th- his... Like, why did they try to get him to change it when that was never their goal? Why did they get, try to, it was never their goal. They were very clear about wanting to get a pure sample of the virus so that they could cure the future. They didn't, they weren't trying to change the past. So why did they give They can't give him,
0: change the past. That's sort of what's established with the timeline, right? Yeah. I think from the moment that he opens it in the security bay at the at the airport and smells it and... The security guard smells it. That's it. The plague is going to happen.
1: Yes, absolutely. So why does Jose come back to give him the gun? Is it just to perpetuate the story that they knew nothing about? Because they didn't even, they didn't know details. All of the records were gone. Right? They had so little information. There is, it doesn't make sense to me.
0: Well, okay, so you just, uh, I don't know what you're arguing, what, <laughs> yeah. is, what is your ending
1: of the movie? My, 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 well, it, that,
0: honestly, and it's that a tragedy, it
1: feels like a Shakespearean tragedy to me. Yeah. Like, they it, it star-crossed lover, lovers, mm-hmm. that's what it ultimately felt like to me.
0: Well, I mean, it is, it is a tragic hero, he does die at the end, When, but we know it's, it's established that the, the, it's a Carlito's Way kind of story, we start at the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um... Again, I think that the death counts for something. You're arguing that it doesn't, that no. it was a pointless death and that that's the whole movie is. I have to disagree that that's what the screenwriter and Terry Gilliam was going for because I don't know what, what the point of that would be. Well, this is,
1: my, this is my question. I don't know what the point of it is. I can't see it. Well, I my, mean, my you've ex- point would be is yeah. that they didn't do
0: that. <laughs> so either, either, but your,
1: your explanation doesn't make sense to me either, though. No.
0: I don't think they were trying to make a pointless movie. I don't think they no. deliberately made a pointless movie, um, and I like okay. We can argue about the ending. Obviously, we yeah. It's for just
1: for me. It's too. It's obscure. Either you're trying to do something that's over the heads of your audience, which if you're because I have never gotten what you're getting out of it. What right. you've explained to me, I'm like, where the hell is that coming from? And I'm not. You know, particularly unable to problem-solve and okay. figure out new... Well, I'm not trying to yeah. my No, 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 I'm not. It's just, it's just that I, I... This is the problem that I have with this movie and why I'm not in love with it.
0: As a rule, you don't tend to react well to super negative endings, too, as a rule, do you?
1: I'm not sure.
0: Because if the, if the moral of the story is that everybody dies at the end and all of this was pointless... Yeah, I would agree with you. I just don't think that's the moral of the story. And well, if we go to the like, other stuff in the movie, there are other journeys you can latch on to. I think that Madeline Stowe, who was an underused actress just generally, because I think she's really good, uh, her sort of journey from, like, for lack of a better word, skeptic to believer yes. is very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has every, every reason, every, everybody around her would believe that she's crazy, but yeah. she believes this guy. And we believe it through yeah. the movie and that really works. I think the misdirection with Brad Pitt and Christopher Plummer really worked. <laughs> I
1: really like the characters, uh, like the, the two um the two main characters, Madeline and Bruce. Their their chemistry, their performances together, I thought it really worked. Yeah. I like think a lot of things in the movie really worked. Like I said, the unsettling thing, it did its job. I was unsettled. Yeah. I wasn't sure of what was going on for the entire movie, right? And trying to piece things together. There's a lot of. I can see why you like it. Yeah. I'm just not in agreement.
0: There is something about uh, Gilliam's work that is just on the edge of chaos, and I will totally concede that. I mean, a lot of I'm a big fan of yeah. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and a lot of people find that movie to be nails down a chalkboard. I do think that there is <laughs> something aesthetically. Intentionally disorienting about Gilliam, and uh, that's that's yeah. just where I, where I end up. Um, like I think that in the end, despite all the you know Gilliamness of it and the madness and the layers of it, it is in a lot of ways a fairly you could thin it out into a summer blockbuster type of scenario movie. But because it's Gilliam and because it's told with this with this sort of madness, it becomes more than that. It elevates yeah. it to me.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, is that chaos level and that unsettlingness. I think I'm less okay with that piece um, than the bad ending, because I'm okay with a bad ending. I'm okay with almost everybody dying or everybody dying, if that's what the story calls for.
0: So uh, here we are. We've gotten over the fight about 12 monkeys. we both applied bandages to our physical and emotional wounds. Um, so, yes, the more we've talked, the more i have started to believe that we're going to go zero over six. But then you just said that now you think that maybe we're not going to go zero. I don't six.
1: think we are. So, okay. Well,
0: we'll find out. Uh, what was your least favorite of these six super dark science fiction <laughs> movies and why?
1: Uh, Pandorum. Because it was the least memorable. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, next, um, 12 monkeys. So, yeah, that's probably in a very significantly <laughs> different spot than on your list. Um, uh, I think that we I don't need to rehash why that one's in that spot. Um, uh, number four is uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, it was once, like I said, once I got over what I was expecting it to be, to look, to watch it, what it was, it was entertaining. Right. Um, uh, then we've got signs cause that big plot hole in the middle, the rest of it was still better <laughs> <laughs> than these other movies. Right. Um, and then we go dark city as number two. Um, and it's, um, just the piece of it that I can't put my finger on that, um, you know, why am I falling asleep? Why? <laughs> <laughs> and just, there are so many beautiful things in it, but I just like pitch black more. Okay.
0: Well, I will say this, we're we're not going zero for six or six for six. Like I but- said. I would take much less issue with you putting 12 Monkeys in fifth position than I do with you putting Pitch Black in number one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I know. That's one of those things where, like, I'd like to, like, I can sort of see where you're coming from. But right now in my brain, that's just fucking crazy. That's as much as I can sugarcoat it for you. Good. But but I'm sorry. In In Larryverse... 12 Monkeys and Dark City are so obviously much better than Pitch Black that it kind of blows my mind. But that's okay. We're allowed to disagree. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful. You have your own opinions. I have mine. <laughs> obviously, no. But we did absolutely agree that in sixth position is Pandora. Yep. And that's why in... I
1: said that I didn't think we were going. It's a flavorless
0: mint. Like, yeah. really, like. Uh, I keep on seeing stuff that I should like more than I like, and, like, there's good beats in the movie that don't see connected to other beats in the movie, but, like, I watched this whole movie and it just washed over me. Like, I was worried about losing plot points when we were doing the review, and I've seen it twice, you know? Like, it just, it made no impression. And it was really trying to make an impression. It It
1: really was. uh, was.
0: But clearly in fifth position is pitch black. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so that's where I washed up with pitch black very competently made uh creature feature but uh undermined by unnecessary comedy and macho-ness that sort of undercut the suspense that was working you know that's just where I landed on that in fourth position <laughs> the amazingly well made but undeniably flawed signs I just that fucking water twist is just too lame to let go I want to I want to just say yeah it's stupid but the rest of the movie's good enough and I honestly think like if it's on tv or if you're on a plane or something like that you can do a lot worse than science you really you know yeah. especially with you know the stigma of Mel Gibson but it's it could have been a contender it lands in fourth place which makes it a surprisingly high placement for Rise of the Planet of the Apes, for as negative as it sounded like I was being about the movie. Yeah. I do think it's a technical achievement, and I do think that Andy Serkis is just an interesting... He's right on the edge of what, you know, future acting is going to be increasingly more like, I think. We'll be able to bring more characters to life than we ever imagined into a deeper way, and, It was way better than I imagined a prequel to Planet of the Apes would be, but I'm just not as passionate about the series to get super excited about it. It's a good gateway drug to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which I thought was legitimately high-stakes fun. Like, it was a pretty good action-adventure movie. So maybe an artificial high for Rise of the Planet of the Apes in third position. But I sweated over 1 and 2, and in the end I put 12 Monkeys in second place. Um, it is controlled chaos. It is Gilliam doing what Gilliam does. In a way, it's a conventional story, and in a way, Gilliam is sort of doing what you'd expect Gilliam to do. But for me, that played out well. I usually don't get excited about big-budget science fiction movies starring Bruce Willis. I will refer you to my review of *The Fifth Element* for that. But uh, another
1: I, one of my favorite movies of all time.
0: I love, <laughs> I love *12 Monkeys*. I do, uh, and in first place obviously uh dark city i just think that of all these movies it had the most new in it it kind of leads to a very conventional place and uh in a way the rufus sewell character has become the one in much the way neil becomes the one in the matrix a year later but i think dark city slipped by some people and uh it should not have it should not have it's fucking fantastic it is it is it's sci-fi, damn it. Yeah. Dark sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. For coming and doing another episode of Rank Review. I hope I wasn't too severe in my letter, in my reprimand recommending you there. Just, we can disagree. It's just that just, just I really disagree. I know. <laughs> but uh, that's part of the book. And so we come to the end of a fairly argumentative, but I think enjoyable episode of Rank and Review. I hope you guys like that. And uh, if you have any feedback to give me, please do so by writing rankandreview at gmail.com. R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. My name is Larry Parsons. I'm your host in Random Canadian. I just wanted to thank everybody for listening to the show. And uh, by all means, check out the website at rankinreview.ca. We've got an alphabetical list of the movies we reviewed, all of our back episodes, and uh, drop on by. Say hello. Until next, we speak.